Welcome back. Get ready to turn on dark mode. We're here to talk working in IT, video games, tech, and everything outside the 9 to 5. I'm one of your hosts, King Lassard. And I'm Taylor Floyd Muse. How's it going? It's going. It's going real well. Just had two cheese sticks, my man. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a lot of cheese to be eating at once. No, it's not. It's I an mean, hold on. Two. I won't act like I've never had two cheese sticks in a sitting, but usually I just grab one. And then if I feel like another, I'll come back. But I'm not going to lead with two because then I have to eat the second one. <laughs> You're going to eat the second one regardless. Here's my no, point, Taylor. Because if I point. go to the other room, <laughs> I might not come back because I've like tricked myself into not wanting to go back to the fridge. Yo, but low key though, after you eat that first cheese stick, you want a second one. Yeah, so I'm one- saying... In order to like put the kibosh on that want for the second one, <laughs> I don't grab it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like here, tr- go ahead. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Are they packaged individually? Yeah, you got to rip them off from each other. Like you got to rip them off, of right? So you can't just grab for one. You have to inherently rip off one. Chances are, though, if you reach in that bag, sometimes you just rip off two, and then like, well, in increments of two, it's easier. Hundred percent. I don't know, like, how fat your hands are that you're grabbing too. Because I literally just grab the pack and start ripping at the one. And then one comes off. And I eat it and leave. I think it's insane. I think you got to grab two and go back to the couch to Netflix. And then you eat one. You're like, oh, man, I wish I had a second one. Oh, good thing I grabbed two. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, but I see this is where we're different, Keegan. You don't, like fight the want for the second one i do <laughs> i'm like i think i'm good after one cheese stick but why fight it it's just a cheese stick it's not like it's not like ordering two mcdoubles because i want i'm no after eat one mcdouble i'm gonna eat one a second one it's not that bad for you to eat a second cheese stick yeah but when you do just it every time in. it adds up keegan it's just cheese there's no nutritional value in it <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll release say like cheese sticks are the new health fad <laughs> raging through the nation. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna make some sort of e cheese stick for you to just like simulate the taste of cheese in your mouth. Yeah, impossible. Uh, the impossible company. If you guys do some fake voodoo placebo cheese that like has no, zero I'm calories. not talking about like something real. I'm talking about it's going to be like a metal stick that simulates <laughs> the taste of cheese. So you're just going to be like either licking a I, stick it's going to either be like a vape pen where you're just <laughs> smoking cheese <laughs> or cheese you're going to just like pen? it's going to be like a perma sucker where you're just like you just suck on it and it tastes cheese. <laughs> and then they'll they'll make a next iteration where you just like chew it so it, it's like gum that never runs out of flavor <laughs> can you imagine going to a company and pitching them this like going shark into tank like, bro <laughs> let's get on shark tank alright you guys all love cheese sticks right <laughs> go I don't know then. there's probably some people out there that hate them I mean well, yeah, not like everybody likes cheese people. my girlfriend doesn't really like cheese on its own she only likes Why? it on stuff or if it's melted I will say one thing will change the game for anyone that's lactose intolerant oh yeah because they want to dairy cheese (laughs) (laughs) have you ever wondered what cheese tastes like (laughs) we can tell you we just go into like jewel like the vape pens and we're like all right hear us out cheese flavored vape (laughs) sweeping the nation 
Man, I don't know. I mean, maybe they want an authentic cheese tasting experience, though, and they'll just deal with the consequences afterwards. Yeah, I guess it so. Might, it, might be more, it might be better to their health because I, I guarantee you there's going to be some sort of recall. Cheese sticks. The E-cheese <laughs> sticks cause cancer. The E-cheese sticks. Because everything does. All right. Well, we're cheese podcast now. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. <laughs> All right. We got some other topics other than cheese we want to talk about today. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a I don't know if you want to move on. Just because I could just he, talk about cheese this whole podcast. Yeah, just because you had two of them at once. All right. Well, not at once. I don't stick both cheese sticks <laughs> in. <laughs> I'm not a maniac. All right, I, I, I misquoted. We don't need to get into eating at two at the same time. <laughs> I meant to say two in one sitting. All right. There are other things I want to speak about, Keegan. <laughs> I watched. One of the movies that was uh, nominated by the Oscars, you know how we talked briefly last week and we're like, bro, we don't even, we haven't even watched a lot of these. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why are we even talking? So, Uh, yeah, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, that ninth Quentin Tarantino movie. And you loved it. I didn't like it. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I was kind of like yanking Keegan's chain when I, after I watched the movie, I was just like, dude, it was trash just because I knew he was going to have like a real <laughs> like impulse heated reaction. And it was funny because I was actually just typing uh, to him. I wasn't talking to him on the phone and I could tell how aggravated he was getting <laughs> through the text. <laughs> he was just, like, you would see like every single time I would hit enter typing would already show up like Keegan, <laughs> Keegan is typing bro like he was upset um and I did it like right before he went to bed so he went to bed fuming but I did not sleep well which is, <laughs> I really right. didn't sleep well. I I shouldn't say that it's trash and I I hated it I just I didn't really care for the I don't know how it was done but it literally spurred this whole like debate between us about like liking artsy movies versus popular movies and we're about to talk about that today so i guess my did you even i forget did we talk about once upon a time on a previous episode like did you give like your review i have no idea that's what i was thinking like as we were about to get into the session i was like i don't know if i've already given my spiel of once upon i don't think i need to regurgitate it if i have because honestly if you I enjoyed it. Like, I think it's one of his top at least five movies he's made. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I but mean, when you were roasting me on Discord, <laughs> because that's the worst part about this. This wasn't a phone call because then I could have at least, like, I don't know. It was like. I, you could have clapped back faster, but I was yeah. typing more than you could, like, <laughs> like I don't know, process. So you were getting, it was like the stack, the call stack was building up. And all of a sudden you were just like, overload, I'm going to bed. <laughs> like the, yeah. the program crashed. Yeah. So. so, and then you were also bringing up debates and like arguments like five to one. So I was like be answering <laughs> like to what are your complaints it was like it was just a weird stack where I couldn't catch up at all. I was just gonna, I, it was just gonna overflow. But I remember going to bed that night, and literally all I could think about was I started thinking about the movie <laughs> and looking back to the scenes and how I experienced it. Then I, so that, that part was enjoyable. Then I got into the why didn't Taylor like it? 
completely deconstructing a lot of your arguments in my head and having arguments with you in my head while I'm trying to go to sleep. Then I transfer over to all Quentin Tarantino's movies, ranking them in my head just in case you bring that up (laughs) today. Like, that's how psychotic I got. We're like, okay, this is my lane. This is my lane. Taylor doesn't mess with my lane. This is my lane. Movies. Film. And I'm like, yo, if he questions me on, like, what my top whatever Quentin Tarantino movies are, I got to have an answer and why. That took for fucking forever. And then... Well, this is because I told you, like, I left you with a little bit of a parting gift because I was really, I was really getting into your your psyche here. Like, I was psychologically messing, messing with you because I go... All right, bro, have fun, go to bed, think about some things you want to say to me, and then come on Slack the next day ready to swing. Because I knew you were going to start thinking. (laughs) So then I was just like, let's mess with them a little bit. And then you you come on the next day, I didn't sleep very well last night. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, but I mean... I I guess I should say the things that I didn't like about it first before we start, like, you start roasting my reasons to roast you. Um, like my main complaint was like, I, I also kind of already forgot like how Quentin Tarantino's movies flow. I think they have like a strange flow where he'll be, he'll be in a scene, right? And he'll have like random flashbacks or like other different pieces that will add to the scene, but they come sporadically. So as as like they're introducing characters they'll have like a funny little clip and then they'll come back but then again later in the movie they have like a funny little flashback but it's longer than that now now i I just spent five minutes in this flashback and i literally forgot that this was a flashback (laughs) like because when he changes scenes it's the same way so like just how it was coming at me was like there was a point in the movie i'm just like i don't know what's happening that like that happens frequently to me and I compared it to you. I know these are completely different directors because he was ready to throw hands right back <laughs> when I said this and they do their own style. But like I, I equated it to like, all right, you go in and you watch a Christopher Nolan movie or like one of those mind bender movies and like you get weird stuff thrown at you all movie or they tell the story in a nonlinear way because Quentin Tarantino tells his stories in sometimes a nonlinear way. And there comes that point later in the movie where it, all connects and like makes sense why they did that weird thing or like i don't know there's there's not many extraneous things i feel like that point never comes in this movie or other tarantino movies some of them so i'm literally sitting there scratching my head like well what was the point of that scene or like why did he choose to do it that way like it literally felt like it didn't have meaning but obviously, I guess you could go rewatch it and analyze it. And, you know, it's like lit lit circle classes in high school again <laughs> or movie um, review. I don't know. I just like that's where I get lost. And it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a very like entertaining uh, flow to me. That was my main complaint. OK. I so when you told me that main complaint, all I wanted to do was just start yelling <laughs> but but like as I stewed on it, I can like see where you're coming from, but from an avid like film lover as I am and like honestly love Tarantino's work, 
and know his weird director style and know what to kind of expect. Because, like, I think a lot of people, like, started becoming fans because of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. And I'm not saying bandwagon or anything like that. I'm just saying, like... Well, I mean, at some point, you're going to have a standout piece that brings people on. I mean, some yeah. people might argue that Pulp Fiction was that. I Like, you know, people have different favorites, so... Yeah. So when Inglorious Bastards had that massive popularity... I mean, so did Kill Bill, but, like... I think it struck an even wider audience because of the war movie. Mm-hmm. Once that happened, and then he did Django, it was like a double header, and everyone was like, oh, this is what to expect from a Tarantino movie. And I'm like, yeah. not really. But I, looking back on Once Upon a Time, they, the callbacks, I thought in that movie, when you said that, I was really confused why it didn't make sense to you. But I guess if you're already feeling that the movie's dragging because you're not fully involved into what he was trying to get towards in the movie, it could be hard to follow. But, like, let's say the scene where Brad Pitt is reminiscing to, like, back to when he fought Bruce Lee or whatever, right? Yeah, that part, that's where I was just like, wait, what is happening right now? He was just fixing an antenna. (laughs) You had to think about, the, the way I looked at that scene is, like, obviously... He just got some terrible news. He asked his friend for help to get on the set as just a stand-in stuntman. He's like, ah, that guy and I have history. And you're building the character development of who Brad Pitt is and why he's still with this guy. It's obviously because he can't find other work. They've had this long friendship. And then it comes up like, well, he supposedly killed his wife, right? So then that flashback happens. And it's really interesting. It's kind of quirky, but it builds his character. Kurt Russell can't really have him on because of what happened last time. You're like, well, what happened last time? And they kind of just brush over, right? So then it moves on, and he's driving around. And you're seeing the character kind of get disturbed by the fact that he got pushed over again. And now he's going to go fix this dude's cable. Gets all the way up on the thing, and then he kind of looks up into space. And then it goes back to that, to when the incident occurred, and how funny and how crazy it was. And then he kind of chuckles, and he's like, yeah, fair enough. It's... It's fully encapsulate. It's fully explaining why that was pushed over, why he got upset, and then why he's come to terms with it, and why he's moving on as a character. Whereas yeah. you would probably look at the film and think, like, why didn't he get pissed the fuck off? Why didn't he react a different way? And you kind of see what his day to day is versus Leo's character. And, and like, okay, continue. I I was just kind of gonna move towards like tarantino's narrative style and why i think it it shouldn't get that critique for this movie that i think if you look at his mission from what he wanted out of the story like the way he attacked it is like perfect because in any other way that he could have gone it would have been either confusing or wouldn't reach the great climatic uh uh ending that it reaches and it wouldn't pace the way that i think it should Because you either, if he, like, let's say he cut some stuff and he sped it up, I think you miss out on major character development, major reasonings why the the pieces fell where they may. And he wanted, I think, and this is my opinion because obviously I haven't interviewed Tarantino, but I think he wanted a movie to take this this era, glorify it, show why it was so uh, popular, why it was so lively to be in and then this horrific history that taints that era 
occurs and what he wishes could have happened and the fact that it could have been such a small thing that triggers all of this to chaotically break and ultimately Sharon Tate doesn't die. He wanted to show that like a small ripple in what was the narrative doesn't come to be and then this massive chaotic ending actually happens when you know one small detail gets mis misplaced yeah and like that's where you're saying that they they show things where they're building and it comes to this climactic conclusion at the end i feel like in his movies he really focuses on the mundane shit too much like to a fault like yeah you got to show these kind of things because people's lives aren't going to be like super streamlined perfect but like i really don't need to see like literally two full minutes of a girl's feet as they're talking about (laughs) drugs like like that doesn't add anything to me enjoying the movie or or really in my eyes the story like there's (laughs) like when they revealed that he got a cigarette dipped in acid it was literally just like oh i got this flashback i want to buy a cigarette and then he's like huh like i don't know like that i guess that just doesn't really resonate with me but this is that when I came up with that point where I think that Tarantino directs along with the help of really excellent actors and actresses, excellent scenes, right? They are yeah. just like dime piece scenes. But when you stitch them together, I don't think they they work well. Like mm. an ex, like a prime example of this, because this movie is like to the extreme, is Pulp Fiction. That movie is just like a motley crew <laughs> of, of, of scenes that like just were like stitched together in a two two and a half hour movie or something but like this one has a little bit more like okay like here there's a story here <laughs> but like i wasn't really sure where he was really going with it but then like the the whole six month jump ahead where they're they're kind of just like all right now we're in the timeline where the manson murders happen here's here's the climax <laughs> and like how i how i wish it would happen like i just i I don't know i just thought it was a really weird layout and that's where you were kind of like well i guess there's kind of just a difference between artsy movies which like a lot of his movies are or or popular movies and it's like i was saying i i would rather have like the spectacle and entertainment which i like think that's the purpose of a movie is for like entertainment rather than like i'm gonna i'm gonna say a story but in like this really convoluted way because it's like i don't know it's art that's that's where you lose me and and like there's you know there's film critics that will argue otherwise or or just movie enthusiasts film i feel like the the line drawn is like when you start calling them films you're that guy now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. like someone, like a, uh, what do you call it? Like just a normal person is going to call them movies, but whatever. I just think that I can't resonate with that, with that level. Like I, I'm just there to enjoy the movie. I can enjoy some, you know, some cool cinematography and like layouts of stories. But when we're getting to like the, the delivery method is just like, weird on purpose just for the sake of being weird i I, i'm out i i don't know if it's see my problem is is it's not weird on purpose it's 
or boring on purpose. I'm not saying it's boring on purpose. Like, he definitely didn't set out to make a boring movie. I just think that his idea of pacing is is very sporadic. There, I like. I just feel like there's not a lot of consistency in his films. With, uh, well, I shouldn't say films, plural. Let's say this one, for example. He has these these strange motifs where I I can't even call them motifs because they're not reoccurring. Like in the, the span of the entire movie, he introduced three people with subtitles right away in the beginning, or like not the beginning. It's like 20 minutes in or something, and then like never again. And then towards the end of the movie, he has like a whole timeline layout and then never again. And then some of the timeline literally was extraneous. Like, I literally don't know if he's supposed to be using that as a historical tie to the actual Manson family murders or what. But like, just these things come in randomly. The narrator is missing for 80% of the movie. I'm not saying it needs to be there the whole time, but he literally pops in at the most random times where I was like, shit, I forgot there's a narrator to this movie. <laughs> like, I, I guess I just like, there's weird parts of it like that to me where I'm like, I can't agree with how it's mm. being put together. But obviously it's not my movie. I'm just saying I don't like that style. Yeah. I I don't know. It my main complaint with hearing I mean I get that if a movie's long right like 1917 I saw and it was over two hours long but it didn't feel that way because it was so adrenaline pumping you know excitement right mm-hmm. and I get that a lot of people are fans of Tarantino for his violence and his action and that theme running through a movie so when he makes this, where really there's not a lot of that, and he wanted to focus elsewhere, I think that that's where a lot of people got lost, and a lot of people went into with these different expectations. And when he did focus on mundane things, which he does in almost all of his movies, like yeah, like the scene in Pulp Fiction where they literally walk it out and they talk about that foot massage for like five extra minutes, like. Yeah, that's like kind of a part that, you know, it's character development, but it's like at what point is character development, character development extraneous? Like it's over it's the top. It's a matter in my opinion, it's a matter of that he wants these he wants these subtle scenes in his movies cuz a he's very detail oriented and wants I think he wants these mundane things in there because he wants his film to feel as authentic as possible to the point where if you were there, if you were at Brad Pitt, right, and that girl got in your car, you would p- look at her feet. You would focus on how fucking filthy her feet are. And uh, Margot Robbie's foot scene, I was like, I don't, I mean, I think it was meant to show that she's bubbly, she's energetic, she's also with the times with having dirty, I don't know. I, I That scene I was a little confused about, but like, I think he focused on mundane things like that because it's these extra details you oddly remember. Like in Inglorious Bastards, I still remember the dessert she ate, that Danish, because he put the, oh, you have to have it with cream. And like he threw the homemade cream like on top of it and they zoomed in on that. I don't like, I, that's what I think about. I don't know. It's just his, his theme. And I think if you were to look at this movie as a Tarantino movie, it, you would be fooling yourself to say that it isn't one of his best or what it, one of his, like, ult, this is an ultimate Tarantino movie. Because, I mean, 
I don't know. Like, if you compare it to, like, Pulp Fiction and other ones, it, the pacing and the narrative style are almost identical. You have these wildly different areas, wildly different activities, and somehow something that happened in the very beginning of the movie you, that you met somebody ties in at the very end, you know? And um, I don't know. It, I The debate between popularity and constant excitement and entertainment when you go to the movies versus the more artsy, artisan films and the... Uh, the constant critique of it, it was just felt a little dull or it dragged or it was boring. Um, it, I think it, it's also doing part of, you know, our culture moving towards a time where we have to watch something. We want a movie quality thing in the span of a 20 to 30 minute, you know, episode and Netflix series. And so, when the you have these directors that are old school and want to make these three hour cinematic beautifully shot like the Irishman and Once Upon a Time where they're beautifully shot and they're perfect in a sense obviously it it there's definitely going to be the people who are like uh, I don't get it <laughs> like that was that could have cut that they could have cut that yeah but the difference between the Irishman and and a movie such as this is like the span like there is literally so much information packed into that three and a half hour movie of the irishman that at any point where you flip into that three and a half hours there's something happening like he's either explaining the information of like the backstory or as he's explaining it you're watching it you could flip to any point in this movie and there might just be silence of him just looking at some shit and it's like there there's a very different um well i mean we can say pacing but also amount of information being processed in the span so that's why to me this two and a half hours felt way longer than the three and a half hours of the irishman and i guess because i can't resonate with his pacing and method of delivery i don't i don't want to watch that length of a movie over watching something like the irishman i mean because like you can look at like long movies like king kong and there's parts of king kong that are badass and really good and there's parts where i'm just like dude let's fast forward this hour <laughs> like it was it's not really that great but that's just where i'm at so i just i'm also a little bit puzzled uh by like how how tarantino's popularity has leaked into the mainstream so hard because like a lot of people like you said liked inglorious bastards and django because maybe those ones weren't as um they i mean they were a little bit different than his regular formula but like now everybody has to watch tarantino's movies and like they're so wildly popular even though they're just like just different and I asked a lot of people just like in passing over the last week, like what they thought. And I heard a lot of like, yeah, I didn't really care for it. Or like, it just wasn't, wasn't what I was looking for. So like, I don't know. I personally, I just, I don't understand how he got to be so damn popular with how his movies are laid out. So Tarantino, I, I want to, again, non-experts giving expert talks right (laughs) (laughs) i think tarantino obviously shot up in popularity 
with Inglorious Bastards. Not to say that Kill Bill, the movies, weren't popular. Pulp Fiction weren't, like, you know, Jackie Brown. All those movies weren't popular. They were. But before then, Quentin Tarantino was in an era where it was, like, he was the gore director. Like, his movies were gory. And, like, he was kind of infamous for that already, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that's what makes a director pop out is when you say the name... And you've already gone to their theme or motif, right? Mm-hmm. Like Tarantino. whenever I say Nolan and just like absolute mind, mind blender movies. Yeah. <laughs> Guy Ritchie, London crime syndicates. Um, that that type of thing builds notoriety and therefore builds up an expectation. And the fact that Tarantino has delivered nine pieces of art that reflect perfectly what he is as an artist... I think it has to stand for something, and I think going into a Tarantino movie, you're going to go into a quality, like, no matter what, you can leave the film knowing you watched a quality film. Like, I know you didn't, per se, like, like it that much, but, like, at least you experienced it, and then, I mean, obviously you're not going to watch it again, but you're not leaving, like, that was, like, absolute dumpster fire, because obviously it wasn't. It was well-written and whatever. But... It is odd that, like, most of the time these directors are mostly followed in cult followings where I would tell a normal person, like, oh, I really like Guy Ritchie as a director, and they probably don't know who the hell that is. But nowadays, directors get more and more notoriety. Like, Zack Snyder's on the film, so immediately people are like, whoop. And then, you know, Christopher Nolan, Martin Scorsese, all these directors will immediately get a response. And, I mean, that's why, you know... Quentin Tarantino's last ninth film that he said he's going to direct of course that's going to you know everyone wants to go see it I think honestly uh, it it might have been like he might have tried to make this earlier he might have been able to make this one and then like end on a higher note but I liked it a lot but like you know what it was even more of a dud that people don't really talk about is Hateful Eight. Like, that was a I don't even terrible. remember that movie, dude. Like, it was three I, hours think, of something I just can't think about. <laughs> like, as a Tarantino movie goes, it's pretty much on the bottom tier, in my opinion, of his movies. But, but like, yeah. this is when I talk to you, like, I think this is just going to be my last point before we move on to our next topic. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I find it hard to... Uh, determine at least my interpretation of the line between like the quality of the movie and then the actual content so like Mm. you can make an excellent quality movie about something that is just like not great or or just doesn't resonate with people and you know, like some people are going to like it because they can appreciate your method of delivery and everything you did and uh, like just all that stuff. And then you're going to have people that were just like, what did I watch? Like, cause they're yeah. not, they're not as focused on like, you know, like, oh, he chose to do this here. And then like this, this pacing and then like this, this scene layout and, and things like that. So I can appreciate that in movies where they also are delivering on interesting content, but when it's just like something that, I don't know, I might not be like fully invested in, it kind of loses me on now I need to focus on like, you know, how it's being portrayed to me. 
So that's I think that's the root of my problem. Mm, uh, that's interesting, yeah. And obviously, like, there's going to be people that love this movie and people that don't. And I just feel like I'm on the side of people that just thought it was it was subpar. But that's that's just on my entertainment value, not on like, oh, it was an excellently shot film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. Tarantino. Do you think he's going to get the Oscar for it? Because you said you thought you thought he will. No. You don't? No. Here's the thing. I, I, I said that stuff before I saw 1917. <laughs> and then you were like, boy. <laughs> that, if 1917 doesn't win Best Picture, I don't know what the hell we're doing here. Because as much as I love the other films in that category, 1917, if you look at that movie... And you don't come out of that theater going like, "Wow, that like that's a like one of the best things I've seen this year." I mean, I don't know what movies you're watching because not only the way they shot it, but like where they shot it, the locations, the seamlessness of it, the the authenticity of like the set building. I mean, it was by far one of the best movies I've seen in a long time in that genre. Like yeah. probably since I've seen Fury in theaters. It was it was crazy. That's that's a movie that delivers on both the method of delivery, like the quality of that, and then the actual content. Like that that's where it meets up and it's just like, yeah, this is it. This is excellent movie. Cause if you look at that movie, there's really not that much action in it. Yeah. I mean there's like it, it comes at you know in any. spurts, but <laughs> like that's that's when I always like get excited about a movie because you're you're fully invested even in the parts that aren't like peaking in climactic action like I was invested in that like even when they were just doing the quiet stuff like that was something I was like all right mm-hmm. I'm in there because like I know where this is leading and like why that is important and then the drop at the end and then you find out that this is the director's grandfather's story what <laughs> yeah the I like fuck? I kind of forgot about that I That's... like looked it up and I'm like no way and then it's like yeah it was all contributed to the sto- storytelling of his grandfather and it was like real events and i'm like that movie and also low key that director in the casting trying to make a a uh, lannister and a uh shoot why can't i think of the house name oh and a stark bro oh, <laughs> they try yeah, making yeah, them yeah. brothers okay i see you <laughs> he's just trying to like incite some game of thrones violence you know yeah because they're brothers in this movie but they're actually not anyways i didn't um, i didn't actually make that connection i forgot that tom and Zelanis. that was the first thing that stormy said to me she's like okay they're trying to make them brothers but we see you that's just, funny no, she didn't say it that way obviously but that she <laughs> she immediately was like, oh, that's a Lannister, and oh, that's a Stark. Because I honestly didn't know he was casted at all. The, I, I didn't either. That, so took me by surprise. But um, enough movie talk, because I'm sweating from anxiety of just, like, not getting my point across. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see, the, see, all right, now people might understand why it's so easy for me to mess with Keegan, because he, he's a real big i can't even say movie buff because he's like let's say Past a film that. nerd because because <laughs> like when you start calling them films you're in another league but it's so easy to mess with it because all you got to do is just like like kind of 
talk a little bit of shit about a movie that he likes and it's just like he cracks the knuckles and he's like boy we are going in so or just say that the uh x-men dark phoenix movie was good and then i'll just blow up or star wars sucks and then he'll just like eat you alive that one i can understand why people are mad no i'm talking about just like star wars as a as a series oh no that's the best series ever but no i'm just (laughs) saying like if you look at like Star Wars from prequels, like let's say somebody was like, "Oh, I'm gonna start from the beginning, like Episode One or whatever," and they watch Episode One, Two, Three, they're like, "Okay, I don't know if I can watch this shit because, like, yeah, prequels weren't great." But if you're like somebody like me that started from as a kid, anyways, we're not gonna talk about Star Wars again. Getting distracted. We don't, we don't need to do that. You know what else gets me distracted? What? Here's a little segue. Open. I was going to do it, dude, but you <laughs> took it from me, all right? Like, now the, now the whole segue is ruined. I was going to say, I was distracted. Never mind, fuck it. I read an article where they were just talking about how open <laughs> office plans are just not the way to go. They they went so far as to say that they are the worst fad in years. Or, no, the they're now the dumbest management fad of all time. And I'm sitting here like, huh? I've only ever worked in open office management styles, so like, that's not what? True. I mean, that I, that was like for a, literally a month. Oh, okay, okay. And then I also worked at another client for like a few weeks that had kind of like some weird hybrid. Not really. I don't know. So like, every time that I would spend like an actual substantial amount of time, I've been in open office. Uh, establishments so like it was just kind of weird to for them to call it a fad to me because it's like pretty much all i really knew even my internship when i was in college had it but like that's just because i'm you know growing up in a different generation um but they had a lot to say and just before i dive in what is your opinion of an open office establishment do you like it you don't like it which which hell mixed if i want to be honest here my problem with it being classified as a fad is it just boils down to the fact that like upper management and the people that make these decisions just don't consult their teams on what works. They just like, are like, yeah, the course they'll love it. It's modern. It's hip. It's like, this is what they'll, they'll eat this shit up. (laughs) They don't like half the time you don't, they don't survey the teams and be like, what do you want in your desk? It's like, nah, this is what this is what corporate decided, so we all got these desks now. Now I have this little rolly half a cabinet, half a seat thing that people sit on <laughs> and it's kinda weird, but I put my stuff in it and it's by my desk and it kinda clutters my desk, but hey, this is what corporate says. But I don't know, I'm on the spectrum where like I think that offices in general just need to be versatile where it could be either or like it shouldn't just be one like give somebody space that they can seclude themselves or they have the other space where people are either you know working tables like some places don't even have assigned seating which baffles me but like i don't know i just feel like if you just give your employees the option of either or then you've then you've you've done what you need to as an office but if you're just deciding for them and then you just like hope that they all like it obviously you can't please everyone but like there has to be some sort of solution 
right? I mean, I don't know. When I'm working, where I work is like this kind of hybrid where I have a desk and I mean, I have base amounts so I can make my monitors so it's as secluded off or as open as I want them to be. But like, it's still an open layout in the sense that like we all have a communal area and there's not like high walls. So it's not a cubicle where I'm just sectioned off, but to yeah, me, I can't, I can't deal with cubicles. Like, like just like a high wall cubicle. Like I can't yeah. see anything. You come into the hallway and it looks like a prison hallway. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just gray. No, 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 none of that. I don't like being shocked by when somebody walks into my, like when you have those high walls and you're just like in the zone and then all of a sudden someone's just at your desk. <laughs> Hello. I don't, I don't like that. Um, I, my problem is, I don't, I guess I don't have a problem because I'm a social person. So for me, open layouts are fine. Okay. So hold and, on. I'm going to stop you there because you're, you kind of have what you said prior to that last sentence is kind of the, the, um, the direction this article is going. But then the last thing you just said is what they find to be the problem. So let me dive into this because I okay. know this is where you're going. This article came from Inc.com. We'll probably put the link to it in our um, in our Inc. description. Like INC, Inc. like Incorporated. Lame. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So they called it a fad, and I was just like, interesting, because I I've never I've I grew into this fad. Like I, that's all I know. Mm. Um, but their problem with it is that it just reduces productivity, or like people have have done studies already to show that like productivity kind of takes a a hit because of the open setting and like the distractions are easier and uh like you said you're a social person so obviously like people are going to be more uh open to chatting about it uh other things non work related but they said that they actually found that collaboration which was the whole justification of this setting is is actually decreased they find that people send more emails or more ims in an open office setting than ever before and i thought that was weird because i was like huh if i have to like go all the way down the hall and then go into someone's cubicle to chat with them i would probably im but that's just because (laughs) i don't know if that's just lazy millennialism or what but (laughs) if there's someone across the room like within like literally a hop skip and a jump away i feel like i would go over and chat with them in person rather than send an email or the ping but i've also been pinged when someone is literally sitting next to me so i i don't know like i guess i don't understand if this this collaboration that they were using as the um the justification is really like as important as the fact that you're literally less productive in an open office environment. They, they said by 15%. That's, that's what their study says. Here's, here's where I'm, I'm perceiving the problem is that these studies are correlating on the wrong thing. The collaboration is not dependent on, to me, the IMing and pinging and emailing, they're correlating that to the office layout. And I disagree with that. Because you have to factor in the time that we live, which is we have Slack, we have Teams, we have good emailing, IMing, Skype, uh, all these services that IT corporations and 
I'm sure marketing corporate, like everyone is pushing for their employees to use. So we create all these channels. We create all these ways to direct messaging people. And of course we're going to utilize that, but that's not because we're in an open or a closed. Cause I've been in both and you collaborate no matter which any way you, any which way you want. And so to me, I don't think that you can justify collaboration based on verbal or IMing, you know, messaging, right? So I think that anytime these studies come out or people show like productivity stats or anything like that, I always think that they are skewed and inaccurate because First of all, measuring that productivity and also measuring that collaboration is kind of bullshit. And whenever anybody is measured on their productivity, chances are that it's not really how they're either A, working, or B, it's not actually measured correctly. Because in a sense, measuring productivity eliminates productivity from their actual job. <laughs> like <laughs> any, like in general, like like timesheets are a prime example or, or ma- maintaining what your time is spent on you end up wasting more time figuring out what the hell you have budgeted for projects and then tracking that than you do, you know, where it could be spent doing productive things. I think as a quote unquote fad, the open, open office layout was a major break in the office thing to try to break down the, uh, formal atmosphere of an office setting to help promote creativity, productivity all the bullshit that that they preach right when in actuality i think that um as employees go it's just a matter of you as a manager or a office coordinator whatever that role is that's deciding this you know the stuff it's just a matter of knowing your employees and knowing what works and offering as much options as possible i think it's just a matter of it, it might go down as a fad just to that it was to break down what we thought you know, corporate America looked like, which was ugly gray cubicles that sectioned you off and made sure that you didn't go to the, you know, people had to go to water coolers, which was such a weird, dumb way to socialize. But that that's what we now, it's just a different that now you can bring your laptop with you. And, you know, if guys are playing ping pong, you can work while, you know, subbing in on ping pong for 10 minutes and then going back to your desk. And then the collaboration stats can be like, well, he wasn't collaborating for 10 minutes or he wasn't productive for 10 minutes because of the open office layout. Well, it's no, it's because I don't know. I think all right, you're just, saying some things, bro. And I got some responses. All right. Like, okay, hold go, on, go, hold go. on. Okay, you're okay. saying that you think that because of the times we live in of like having all these different methods of uh, digital communication, that is the reason for, you know, the uptick. And I agree with that, but I feel like we personally as social people aren't the people that this is like talking about because all right let's say that the main demographic of people in the office the majority of them just by like sheer i don't know probability are older like the younger you know lower 20s to like 30 um like what do you call it range is obviously going to be less than 30 to retirement age of like you know 65 or whatever somebody actually retires like that ranges so those people who grew up in a setting where it is literally just like all cubicles coming to the office 
uh, style where it's open are now scared or like anxious because like they had privacy constantly. So then they don't want to be going over and loudly talking where everybody can hear their problems <laughs> or or like something's on fire and they don't want to let it out loud. So they just ping them or email them. So like the whole thing about the open office that I think is the problem is the lack of privacy because there's differences between like having a desk with some walls, not high ass walls, but like walls that kind of cover your screen or like give you some sort of privacy or like noise isolation. And you're not like in close proximity to someone who's literally next to me with no divider and can just like glance over and see everything I'm doing. You feel like pressured. Like I need to be constantly doing stuff. So those people coming from that, like I had complete privacy to now I have like none are like, I need to find a way to regain that privacy and then by the same token having these open office environments for people like younger people who like come to work to kind of like hang out and work you know it's not just like we are just like super efficient I'm working constantly like I guess sometimes people might view like oh my like 100% productivity rate isn't the first priority. I, I'm here to like, you know, have a work-life balance or something. They come in and the open office setting is appealing to them because, you know, hey, I want to I wanna like enjoy myself at work. Like I, I, I kind of enjoy the open office environment just because of that. But then it is difficult to find a place where you can actually hunker down and focus unless you like throw headphones on. Just because noise bleed, some people are louder, and like you're going to hear other problems that you're going to get roped into and somebody can approach you easier and just like dump shit on your plate. You know what I mean? So like yeah. that's where the productivity tax they're talking about comes in. So like those two aspects of collaboration versus productivity, I, I can't tell which one is going to be the more important one. Like it, studies, you know, are like you said, they're always going to have some sort of skew or bias or, or something. And you can't take them all at face value. You got to, you know, you have a different interpretation. Um, but with the sense that like somebody can literally just turn around and be like, hey, I need you for this. Like that interrupted my workflow. And now I'm not focused on what I was just doing. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, that just took away from my productivity. So like, I can't say how accurate this 15% number is because it's just one subset of a study. But I, I honestly think that the it's not so much a fad as just like the demographic of um where where the office is going like phasing out um the older generations like as we start to get older our like opinions of how the workplace are going to be are obviously going to be way different so like let's say we went from the open office and now we're in our 40s or 50s and we go to a closed thing, we're going to be freaking out. <laughs> we're going to be yeah. like, yo, where is everybody? I don't know what to do. And you're going to be like yelling across the cubicles like, yo, what up, huh? did you get that tested? And I'm going to be like, nah, I'm, I'm swamped. You know what I mean? So Yeah, because like we had, they used to have like memos to like keep track of like, hey, if you need, you need to do this this week just to make sure like team meetings weren't, I don't know. Like I didn't, I didn't know how mixed I was on this topic until I was sorry, obviously sorry about rambling on. But like, 
I think I'm more frustrated that like I think most offices spend more time worrying about their environment like that than just actually just doing the simple thing of like asking what would work best with your team and then like let your individual teams kind of decide their desk layout right mm-hmm. and I get the complaints because like it happens to me too like especially in IT like especially from a QA standpoint it's really easy to bug the shit out of developers and to all developers we're sorry but with <laughs> open layouts it influences you to instead I don't have to email him to follow up about the defect I assigned him last week I can just walk over to his desk I see he's there I see he's available and now I completely, you know, ruin his train of thought by bringing up some, you know, valid defect. Um, and I would but, do that too. I would like to go talk to the person face to face. So this is where I'm saying, like, I feel like our um, type of worker, so to speak, is is different than some. Because some people literally yeah. would prefer to just not talk face to face. You know, they're more introverted. So, like, there are so many extra factors to this problem that like you can't how do you determine what the average joe worker is as far as sociability like is he gonna go talk in person or is he gonna email or how often what's the ratio these are things that you can't really i don't know like you could participate in a study but again there's gonna be some sort of skewing to it well my thing is is all the socialists you know, scientists out there are kind of socialist. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> fuck. Uh, what's you know what I'm trying to say? Sociology. Uh, yes. Yeah. Jeez. Um, they're all like, oh, you. We could figure it out. But like, as soon as I think as corporations go, because also you got to think about different departments, right? Because marketing people, they got to have their meetings. They got to be there in person. Um, Only marketing has meetings and nobody else does. Well, I'm just saying <laughs> no, a, lot of, just <laughs> a lot of their collaborations are. They got to have their meetings, bro. <laughs> but, um, but like, you know, I think as soon as we realize as corporations and departments go, the sooner you realize that you can't pinpoint that one set thing will help all people be more productive or more collaborative or more creative Mm -hmm. the better because once you just think okay well i want to make sure my environment is as adaptable as possible so let's say i work in it which we do and i'm a manager and i get a guy that's introverted and doesn't like our open layout i don't have really an option for him to like be secluded off so then i think okay well most of his stuff can be done through online i can let you work remote and they do talk about working remote in here yeah like you have to have options you do like there's no way there's well if anything you should weed them out in the interview that hey this is how we work will you be able to be efficient in this model but to say that like open like when they first were a thing that it was the big thing was open concepts are better because but it's it's more it's more like your environment will improve because you give more options to how they work. Yeah. Not because we are now open. Therefore you should be able to be more creative. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. I get you. So like they recommend having like a hybrid space. And this is something that I thought about because their solution to me wasn't, wasn't something that I would take as, as a solution for me. They said that, like if you feel that you need to be having work done, you can, you know, have pr- 
private rooms or private spaces, you know, like maybe there's a secluded corner or there's like mm-hmm. a, a, a single person meeting room for just getting work done. But like, that's not my home base. That's not where my my monitors are, where I can, I'm feeling the most productive because I have like all this space. I'm cramped on a laptop with maybe just a mouse. And I feel like that hinders me more than just sitting at my desk, even if that is in the open area. So like, it's challenging to find a hybrid of where your desk is without being like completely boxed off and without mm-hmm. being just like absolutely no privacy. So right. I feel like there really isn't a, a perfect solution to this. But then the the most interesting part that they brought up is that people also justified this by the cost saving because less space, less amount of floors or um, just business real estate is needed, so less rent. But then right. they combated that. Now, again, this is going to be what, what, what may be flawed logic because we don't know how accurate this 15% productivity tax that they call it. But another article does the math for you. They say that having is, is not as cost effective as you would think having an open office layout. Because if you factor in the extra space that it costs to have like they they're saying like actual private spaces like cubicles it's going to cost you more with the amount of like let's say 15 percent off of your profit because of productivity tax you're gonna waste more money having that than just spending more on rent interesting so let's let's run through it real quick so one study showed that just in addition to reducing employee well-being like health by 32%, I'm assuming that just means because you're in open spaces, you know, sickness can travel faster, but I guess with the whole work from home thing when you're sick, like that shouldn't really be that big of a problem if right. a company supports it. And um, if people would work from home when they're sick <laughs> instead of coming in and going <coughs> it just feel awful but it's just it's all just it's all just side stuff it <coughs> no dude flu's going around now there's this new china shit like let's just let's stop spreading the shit yeah, stay okay? your ass home all right <laughs> so uh they say that it reduces productivity by 15 percent. they said that another study showed that on average an office worker will lose 86 minutes a day due to distractions which in a normal eight hour sh- uh shift which is 17% of a standard workday. So they go, suppose we're relocating to a successful startup, right? And there's 100 hardworking people. And it's in Silicon Valley, which is an expensive place, right? This is like, Mm -hmm. they say it's $5 per square foot per month, which is kind of rough. Now, they're going to have an open area office. So they're saying that it would cost around $216,000 a year to run a private space area and, that's and then cubicles. around yeah cubicles and then around 43,000 a year for private spaces this is all rough numbers i'm assuming and then that's around a savings of 170,000 so okay. now we're but we're going to say we on average just across mm-hmm. people we're going to have an average of uh, 50,000 salary just because okay. you're gonna have different ranging <laughs> values. Those guys are living on the street of Silicon <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought that too. I was like, that's a they're little bit gonna, low. They're not gonna be hard workers. I'm gonna tell you that. <laughs> but this is also like, I don't. This I, this would include like if you had a receptionist or like 
you know, elite software architect. Like they're getting a wide range of difference, but yeah, it obviously but, wouldn't skew it that much. I understand, okay. Keegan. I hear you over there no. breathing harder because you're like, <laughs> I got some things to say. Okay, anyway, okay. $50,000 a year on average. So then that's around a, a total salary expense of $5 million a year. So you're like, oh shit, all right? That's a lot of money. Now they said you had to apply that 15% productivity tax to it. So you're only getting 85% of that potential work, which is $750,000 loss. So if you offset that loss with the cost savings of 170,000, you have a net loss of 570 some thousand dollars. That they're saying that is how much you would lose per year if you were to just do an open office setting as opposed to doing a private. And I was sitting here kind of scratching my head, but if you if you kind of work through it, it it does make some sense, but that's I'll take your word for it. That is giving a hundred. No, listen. That is giving a hundred percent, like blind trust into the fifteen percent productivity loss. Obviously, different companies are going to be more efficient with different things. There's a lot of different factors, so take that with a grain of salt. But then they also do hit us with another little stinger at the end. They said while the calculation above doesn't count the cost of setting up the office, the net loss increases in cities where office spaces are cheaper. Mm-hmm. And and a company where salaries are higher, Keegan. So you know you oh, said okay. they're living on the streets. If we're paying our our employees an average of like eighty or ninety thousand a year, <laughs> that is obviously going to make the gap wider. So especially if you're paying them more, like let's say you live in um, I don't know Utah, because they got some they got some crazy places opening up in Utah. There's they're calling them like the Silicon Slopes now. Uh, it's like pretty close to uh the what's it called byu campus anyway okay there's an area over there where they got a lot of big things and it's kind of cheap to live over there now let's say they're paying their employees like eighty thousand dollars a year on average that Uh gap is huge now so let's say now they're in a a setting where their productivity tax is worse than 15 (laughs) percent like they just get no work done like it it gets I don't know. I guess it's kind of concerning. So that's where I'm thinking like the whole hybrid and having options thing is the best thing rather than just being like cubicles need to come back. (laughs) Like, I don't know if that's just people like wishing they had it the way they grew up, because obviously, like if we were in this open office setting for 20 years and then all of a sudden they changed it on us, we would be upset. So you you get you get comfortable. Huh? Nobody liked like here's my thing. There definitely the were thinking. some people that would like a cubicle. Okay, well, cubicles aside, <laughs> this is kind of dependent on the whole productivity, right? This is dependent on the fact that there is obviously a loss of productivity in the workday, and they're saying environment cues to get rid of it, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what, people are going to lose productivity throughout the week. Exactly. It is human nature. There is literally an entire movie that was made during the <laughs> cubicle boom called Office Space. What is Ever literally heard of it? the definition of the fact that everyone at work doesn't want to be at work. So thank God we are not CEOs of some company where we have to think through what to get rid of productivity or increase collaborage because in my head i'm just i maybe i'm cynical but i'm just like look mondays people are going to be super unproductive 
Tuesdays they're gonna warm up. Wednesdays they're gonna be kind of they're gonna be more productive. Thursday they're gonna be thinking about the weekend. The productivity goes down. Friday, I work mean, from home. Come on. <laughs> so no, I'm just kidding. My thing is is it, yeah, you can run these numbers and maybe as like a high high level as a company you could see differences after switching uh, floor plans, but. I mean, at the end of the day, what are we doing here, folks? Like, there's no way that this is, like... I would like to see some, like, real-life examples of, like, before and afters, like, when, you know, of their their finances, of how much they've actually, you know, the evidence of the money that they're saving or losing. Because right now, I'm just sitting here, I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm going to want to, like, play ping pong or take a break at two. Like that's yeah, gonna like happen. They, every they day. recommend you do take breaks too. Like you, you're not literally coming into the office working straight up eight to four or nine to five, and and just being a robot. Like humans need breaks. They need like to decompress. Like like I said, there's so many factors to it, and they're coming out and and saying some real bold statements. And I mean, take them with a grain of salt. I still enjoy an open office layout because I enjoy coming into work and and having an environment that is like, I don't know, it's encouraging and it's fun to be in and I can get work done because I do have a solution to the whole, uh, you know, I need to get work done, I need to grind. Like I could either go to a, a private room or I literally mm-hmm. just toss headphones in. And right. I guess I'm not so concerned about the privacy of... um my desk because i'm not going to be looking stuff up that i shouldn't be at work on display like if anything that makes me more productive because yeah like i'm not just going to be like surfing amazon all day like on blast like you you will see some people you know just walk around the office and you're like oh yeah they're trying to buy some shoes or something it's just like you are who cares like as long as you're getting your work done like exactly but just don't go to any sketchy sites we're good so I don't know, like, to each their own, I, I do still kind of enjoy the open office layout. Uh, I don't know, maybe that'll change. But one thing, one thing with the open office and modern layouts, can we calm it down with the whiteboards on everything thing? Because, <laughs> like, it's cool to an extent, like, where the walls are whiteboards and meeting rooms. But when you start making the tables and, like, the random coffee tables, whiteboards... You get people confused because there was one there was one time I walked into an office and the, the whiteboard markers are there and it's a white table and I just was like, Well if you do this and I like started writing on everyone and I heard somebody gasp, I'm like, This isn't a whiteboard, is it? And I really like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that reaction too is perfect. It's just I I get it, but like I think a lot of companies are like we'll we'll make uh, better collaboration, and it's just like whiteboards. <laughs> like that's their key <laughs> oh, to success man. is like weird looking furniture and whiteboards. For sure. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know for a fact that you're distracted at work because all you're thinking about is playing Divinity: Original Sin two some more. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's you- every day at work. <laughs> A little bit of an update on our playthrough with this game. Keegan has become an absolute fiend for this game. Like, he is re-addicted. And he already has played this game to its entirety. Not, like, every single tree of, of you know, which One way you could go. But, like, I, I didn't expect you to be as excited 
again. <laughs> like we we were just on the first act, and he's like, "Oh my god, I love this game. Let's play it again." Like, what time tomorrow? Like same time? And then, and then like all day at work. Like, yeah, you ready to play tonight? Like, we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna get to act two. And I'm like, okay, like relax. Like I'm actually enjoying it more than I thought. But like, you're crazy. <laughs> And then we got to act two last night and we had to stop. And Keegan gave a really loud, <sighs> like, as he had to sign off. He was so upset. Was he so was upset. like, we are so close. And then now I got to go through an entire day of work. And then tomorrow we're recording, so we probably won't be playing then. He's like, he's like doing the calculations, like, when can I play next? <laughs> so, I don't and know. It's the type of game where if you don't know it, but it takes so many hours, but it's so enjoyable and it takes forever like my first run through was like 89 hours or so yeah 90 and so i mean dude it took us 22 hours to get through the first act mm -hmm. and get the for you to get the hang of it yeah and i don't know why i'm enjoying it so much like it it is kind of an addictive game here's the thing like you crazy When, when i first decided to get it and i started playing it I enjoyed it so much, but all that was going through my mind is how awesome would it be to play co-op of this game? And for, I don't know, maybe a year, I was on political campaign to get someone to play this damn game with mainly me. So, me. Yeah, mainly mainly me. you. And then once it finally happens, that's why I'm, I'm back. Because, like, I don't think you realize, that means for, like, the past, for however long I've been campaigning... I've been kind of resisting to come back to it because I know I'm going to do another run through with when you have it. So once but you finally agree to The funniest part though is that you're already like you're here now Keegan, but you're almost trying to enjoy it so much that you're like, "Can I have another run through when you're, I'm not playing with you just so I can enjoy <laughs> it again and like maybe I'll buy, buy it on, on the Switch so then I could just like never stop playing it." And I'm like, "Keegan, you need to back off, bro. Like you need to take a step back and like I don't know, take a nap, like sleep it off or something. But even that doesn't work because we go to bed every night and you wake up like, all right, it's 6 a.m. But you ready to play uh, DOS 2 at like 10 p.m. tonight? And I'm like, oh, man, chill. And I don't think that hype will ever stop until they release their next game, Baldur Gate 3, which this studio can't do wrong for me right now because, I mean, that game... DOS 2 is just a masterpiece. If you Wait, can, it, I, can I ask you a question I never thought to ask before? What's up? Have you, and if you haven't, why haven't you played the first Divinity Original Sin? Good ass question. Because Why I don't no... you play that while you're, you're waiting for me to come online to play 2? You know, I have no fucking clue. Maybe I don't want to, I don't know. I haven't played the first one, that's for sure, because I, this was not on my radar at all. Well, there's your there's your answer, Keegan. And even if you have to wait until after this run through to start to start it up, just so you don't like just completely burn out on turn based <laughs> RPG games, I think it would be the the best step for you. Yeah, maybe, or maybe I'll just buy it on the Switch. All right, so Who knows? what you're telling me right now is that we need to wrap up the podcast really fast so we can play tonight. Well, let me get some cheese sticks first. Oh, my gosh. How many are you going to have <laughs> this time? Six? Two to be exact. Two. Oh. <laughs> well, see, then now you're at four, and it's been like an hour and a half. Dude, you can't. The, the cheese sticks are amazing. All right. All right. So then let me get you a block of cheese 
and you can just start chewing. It's not the same. A block of cheese, that's so But you're doing the same thing, but just in different delivery. A block of cheese is like This is like thick. the metaphor of the movies, <laughs> the, the content versus delivery. I care more <laughs> no. about the content of the cheese Full than I care about the delivery circle. of the cheese, bro. Come gonna, on. All right, we calling this We need the to call cast? it now. All right. No, no more cheese talk. No more movie talk. We are through. It's been a great episode. Lots of fun had today. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Dark Mode Podcast and email us at darkmodepodcast at gmail.com. We love having questions on. As you can tell, we talk a lot about the questions. Like we give you a lot of airtime, especially because we're a pretty new podcast. So if you got anything you want to ask us, we'll talk about it if it's you know within reason. <laughs> yes. So, Keegan, you um, got any comments other than Divinity? Don't sleep on the Gouda. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. We'll catch you in the next episode, guys. Later on. <laughs>